Great. So we're on week two. A new series following the life of Elijah and uh, Elisha. Um, We we do different things as we uh, journey through the Bible together on a Sunday. Sometimes we take uh, a theme, like the healing series. Sometimes we uh, take uh, a book, like the book of James or the book of Ezekiel. Other times we pick up different parts of the story, or indeed sometimes uh, a few years ago we did the whole of the story from uh, beginning to end. So we're, we're picking up a part of the story right in the heart of the Old Testament. We're about 800 years before Jesus, and we're looking at the life of, or the lives of these men and the impact they had. And we uh, saw last time how Elijah had got to the point in his life when he, he knew God had so stirred him that he was uh, unable to do anything else but go, hey, enough's enough. I, I've got to take a stand here. I've got to do something here. I've, I've got to see something change here. God's Spirit is so stirring me, I can do nothing else now other than to rise up and seize the kingdom moment that God has for me. And as we began to think about that last time, I hope we could see that in so many ways, Elijah's time, Elijah's days, our time, and our day, and there are different things that as we allow God to stir us, we also discover the Elijah within and seek to rise up and to make a difference. We serve the same God and the same Spirit stirs us. And I ask the question, what is God stirring up in you if you let him? What is God stirring up in you if you let him. Now, uh, a number of you stood at the end of last week to say, yeah, I can hear for a, in that moment what God is stirring up in me, and I want to make uh, a response to that. I want to, uh, I want to somehow claim it and say, yes, I'm listening. I'm going to do something about this. Others of, of you have come and talked to me since. And it's a place that we as a community are excited and conscious. Many of us have been over the last few years. Yes, something has stirred within us and we've said, no, uh, enough's enough or I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to see a change. In Jesus' name, I'm going to do something. And we've discovered the Elijah within. As a result, missional communities have launched. As a result, prayer meetings have started in workplaces. As a result, people have opened up their homes in new ways. We found ourselves drawn into youth hostels and prisons and children's centers. Others have stopped to share a meal, offer a hand of friendship, a listening ear, an open heart. Still others have plunged into their community to meet a need, get involved, get their hands dirty. People all over this community are saying, I'm rising up. To make a difference. And that's why this story of Elijah and then Elisha resonates, I hope, with where we are as a community. Because like Esther would say, I'm here for such a time as this. This is the moment to which I know God has called me. 
This morning we pick up then the story uh, just after Elijah has made his brilliant declaration to the evil king Ahab that it would not rain and there would be no dew until he said so. It was brilliant because uh, they worshipped the god of Baal or the gods of Baal who they believed were responsible for the rain and one word from Elijah the man of God and it all stopped at his say so. And we pick the story up in verse 2. When the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. Kerith means to cut off or to cut down. We might have imagined that the next step was going to be a massive confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. That will come. But in God's economy, in God's way, there was somewhere else that God ordained for Elijah to go. The Kerith Ravine, to cut off or to cut down. God was going to cut Elijah off from his normal provision in order to cut him down to size for his purpose. Elijah was led into a time of preparation. Elijah would be cut off in order that God would cut him down, would prune him, would cut him down to size for his purpose. And what happens through chapter 17 is that God takes Elijah the Tishbite, Elijah the human man of God, verse 1, to Elijah the man of God, verse 24. How does Elijah get from being the man to the man of God. That's what happens in these verses as God takes him aside to do some work on Elijah under the bonnet. Elijah will look the same at the end of chapter 17, but some very different and significant things will have happened to his heart under the bonnet. God will work in Elijah in order to do greater things through Elijah. God will, in his love and grace, cut Elijah down in private in order to build him up to something for his kingdom in public. It's a time of preparation, a time of pruning, a time of God working in his heart. And notice the timing of it. This preparation was after Elijah was totally committed to what God had called him to do. He'd gone in front of the king. He declared what he had declared. There was now for Elijah no point of return. There was no going back. He was in it up to and over his neck. And the preparation that God often brings into our lives takes place not before we make a stand, but after we have made a stand. God's preparation in our lives often takes place not before, but after. Think about Jesus' 
at his baptism, he submitted himself to the baptism of John, which in Jesus' way was submitting himself to God's kingdom purpose for his life. Then he went into the wilderness. Think about the disciples. Jesus spends at least half of the three years of what we call his ministry ministering to the disciples, training them up, raising them up, that they might carry on where he left off. Those disciples had already left everything, it says, to follow Jesus and then went into a period of preparation. Paul on the road to Damascus had a complete U-turn. He had sold himself to following Jesus before God takes him on a journey of preparation. It's easy to feel that you are never ready for what God wants you to do and therefore want to spend a bit more time preparing and then when I think I'm ready, then I'll make a stand. God doesn't seem to bother that much until we've already made the stand. He will take each one of us to our Karif Ravine at key moments in our lives. But he does it after we've said, yes, I'm in, I'm going for this, I'm rising up. Not because one day, God will work on my heart, not because one day I might do what he's calling me, God will work on my heart because I am already seeking to do what he's calling me to do. Does that make sense? I think it's a really important distinction that for some of us the Spirit would whisper some truth about because it would be much easier to spend another year getting ready. I'll do a bit more to get myself ready and then maybe I'll be ready to make a stand. Elijah has made a stand. He's totally committed to seeing his nation change. And now God takes him aside, as he does with all of us from time to time, to work on our hearts, to do the pruning that Jesus spoke about. I'm going to cut bits that aren't bearing fruit, that are taking away resource, that your life might be more fruitful. So there are several lessons, I think, that Elijah was learning in the Kareth Ravine, and several lessons that we learn when God takes us also to that place. Number one, the lesson of identity. The lesson of identity. Elijah would learn in his solitude, in that place, that before anyone or before anything else, he belonged to God. That's his identity. That's our identity as we've put our trust in Jesus. That before anything else, we know, we need to know, that we belong to God. Now, it's probably not that Elijah didn't know, but it needed to go deeper and further It needed to reach and seep right down into the foundation of who he was. If Elijah was going to stand as tall as he would in chapter 18, when he takes on the prophets of Baal, he would need foundations that go deep enough to sustain that height. You can only go as high as you've gone deep. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
And so God was going to take Elijah much deeper about his identity. That he belonged to God and that was unshakable and that was certain. Where do we get our identity from? We get our identity from our families. We get our identity from our jobs, the things that we do. We get our identity from the places where we live or the people that we hang out with or the clothes that we wear or the lifestyle that we embody. All of these things help us create our identity. But Elijah is taken away from all of those things by God so that God can teach him that first and foremost, his identity doesn't come from any of those things, but simply that he belongs to him. Our identity is a gift from God. It comes first. It's the foundation out of which we go on to live and love and serve Because we know who we are, we don't serve in order to show who we are. The Christian life has often turned it the other way around. I serve him in the hope that then I will know that I belong to him. And yet the life that Jesus calls us to is one of absolute certainty that we belong to him and therefore I will serve him. So Elijah is not serving God in the rest of the story in order to prove his identity. He is serving so powerfully and so brilliantly in the rest of the story because he absolutely knows his identity. Assurance comes not from what I do, but I do what I do because I am assured. My assurance doesn't come from what I do. But what I do, I do because I am assured. And there's a world of difference out of which spirit we are living, out of which context we are serving. It was absolutely true of Jesus. The very first event in the life of Jesus is his baptism. And Jesus' baptism is all about his identity. This is my beloved son. He hasn't done anything yet, I mean, in terms of his public ministry, but this is my boy. It's unequivocal. It's not going to change. It can't be argued with. This is the place where it all begins. This is my son. And because Jesus was absolutely sure of his identity, he could embrace a way of life that took him even to the cross because he was certain of who he was. Elijah was able to stand up in the face of all kinds of paganism and and, uh, demonic forces because he had learned to understand who he was. Jesus wants the same for you and I. Which is why when he taught us to pray, he says, when you come to the place of prayer, I want you to begin with your identity. What's the first word on our lips when we come to pray? Father. Don't pray your kingdom come, your will be done, until you've prayed Father. 
Don't pray, God, give me today my daily. Until you've prayed, Father, the, the whole of heaven longs for us to know that our identity, our assurance is rooted in our relationship with him, which is a gift. It's because of Jesus, because of his death. As Andrew was leading us in worship, we can't do anything about it other than receive it and embrace it and make Jesus Lord of our lives. If the disciples were going to serve properly, if they were going to go out into the world and represent God, then they needed to know that they belonged to God. And so Jesus calls them first into relationship before he sends them out in representation. He calls them to be with him and then he sends them out. He doesn't send them out And depending on how well they do, then he makes a decision as to whether they are with him or not. Make sense? But sometimes we can serve in all kinds of capacities in the hope that it would help create our identity, and it won't, and it can't, and it never will. I love the fact here, it says, he went to the Kareth Ravine, which must have been a pretty naff place to spend some time. And stayed there. The word is dwelt. It's like lingered there. Do you know when God puts you through a difficult time, what's the first thing you're looking for? To get out. How long? How long? How long? How long do I have to put up with this? How long will this go on for? And yet Elijah goes, well, God's taken me to this place. I'm going to embrace the journey. I'm going to learn the lesson. And he lingers in this Karif ravine. And there the lesson of identity gets shaped deeper and more acutely into his life. The second lesson that I think he's learning is the lesson of total dependence. See how this might be working out for Elijah. He's got nothing except a brook, a few ravens, and God's presence. That's what he's got. Not missing anything, I don't think. That's it. Now, given what we know about human nature, what is Elijah likely to put his trust in? Maybe himself? Or another human? He can't find another human. The brook? The ravens? Human nature, I think, is this. We will put our trust in the tangible things around us before we put our trust in God. How easy it would be for Elijah to begin to trust the brook that he has to go to every day in order to survive. Can you imagine him saying, as he kneels down and scoops up this water in the heat and the drought and everything, if this brook had not been here, I would have died by now. It is our human tendency to put our trust in the provision rather than in the provider. Now that's a tweeter's dream. It is our human tendency, isn't it? To put our trust in the provision rather than the provider. I do hope those ravens will come today. 
And we see this, so many examples of this in Scripture. Can you remember um, the, the pole that um, uh, Moses or God gave the people. The people were sinning left, right, and center, and they were getting sick because they were sinning. And, and God gave them, uh, through Moses, a pole with a snake on it. I think I've got the verse here. Um, pole with a snake on it. If they looked to the pole, then the Lord would heal them. Remember that story? So the Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Sorry, there, there, were, there were snakes because of the judgment of God and so on. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So God provided them with something. The provider, God, made provision for their healing. But over time, when's the next time that this pole is mentioned in Scripture? Well, it's in two kings, actually. And the next time that it's mentioned in two kings, they're getting rid of it because the people had worshipped the pole, worshipped the provision, put their trust in the provision rather than worship and trust the provider. There is a human tendency in us to trust the provision rather than the provider. So don't be too harsh on those people who worship the pole Because we do the same thing. Food, shelter, clothes, finance, education, jobs. It's easier in all of those things to trust the provision rather than the provider. Which is why if God says give up that job or sell that house or give away all your savings or don't buy any clothes for a year or at least until the ones you wear wear out, then anxiety rises within us. True or false? Because our trust, our sense of security, our well-being is rooted in the provision rather than in the provider. And it doesn't have to be stuff. It can be things. I I need that relationship. I need that space. I, I need that whatever it is. But when it might be taken away... It's a provision for our lives, and all, don't misunderstand me, all provisions for our lives are good, they're good gifts from a good God. But it's so easy for us to begin to depend on the provision and not the provider. So if we get back to the story, I think that's why God allowed the brook to dry up. It's only when God is all I've got, I realize that God is all I've got. And if Elijah is like us, every day he would have been so grateful for that brook. What a soul-searching moment for Elijah. The first day he goes to the brook and he thinks, huh, that's not as full as it was yesterday. There's not as much provision here as I think there was. And then he goes back the next day. He goes a little earlier the next day because he's anxious about it. And yeah, and then he marks on the side of the brook because he's anxious about the provision. It's not in, that's in the Good News Bible, what I just said. It's not in the NIV. And what's rising in Elijah's heart, if that be the case? That, that would be a human tendency. We would all understand why he would do that, wouldn't we? And, and what's arising in his heart is, a, is a, I, if that brook, if that brook dries up, what am I going to do? How does he feel? 
And what do those feelings reveal about his heart? This brook. This brook is my life. I depend on it. I need it. And there, in that moment of honesty, God has got him exposed because he's trusting in something other than the provider himself. Of what things do we say, this is my life, I need it, I depend on it. And sometimes God has to take them away to help us learn the lesson we will only learn without them. The lesson, I guess, in some way was only just beginning. If you look at verse 9. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Who does Elijah humanly fear the most? Ahab or possibly Jezebel, um, who's really in charge. Elijah has made a stand against the most powerful man and his wife in the world. And, and humanly, he's on the run. So where does God choose to hide Elijah next? Zarephath of Sidon. Whose hometown is that, if you've done your homework? Anyone know? That's where, Je- thank you, that's where, thank you, Dee. That's where Jezebel lives, comes from. That's her backyard. And in order to get to Jezebel's country, Elijah has to walk a hundred miles through the land ruled by Ahab where his soldiers are looking for him. A hundred miles of enemy territory to get there. And there, right under Satan's nose, it's brilliant, isn't it? God, the sovereign one, hides Elijah. But what's Elijah thinking? It's gone from bad to worse for him. At least by the brook, I was hidden away so that no one could find me. What's he trusting in there? He's trusting in his location rather than the provision of his location rather than the provider. And so God does what seems mean on the face of it, takes another thing away that Elijah is tempted to put his trust in. At least by the brook no one could find me. And it's like that, isn't it? We have all our ducks lined up, if we can ever get them to stand still. And when one duck goes under, what we generally do to make ourselves feel safe and secure is to polish and look after the other four ducks. Make sure they're right where they should be. Anyone know what I'm talking about? This part of my life is out of control, so I'm going to fix this part. Some of you tidy your house for that reason. At least there's something I can control. And so we, and then some days, in his graciousness, God goes whoosh to all the ducks because he wants to teach us something. We might never learn another way. Those are awful moments, aren't they? Precipitated by all kinds of things. But when the ducks are all moved, there's a lesson that takes a lifetime to learn. That the provision might all be gone. But the provider, the one I belong to, see how these all link together? The one in whom my identity is set, the one who makes my life certain, he is still the same. Joseph took a long time to learn 
that he needed to be totally dependent on God, didn't he? He went through all that stuff in the pit, Potiphar's bedroom, in prison for yonks. Yes, I can, I can do the dreams. And then the dreamers forgot all about him, another seven years. And almost at the end of it, he says, do you know what? I can't do anything. It's only God. And within a matter of moments, he reached his destiny. But it took him an age to get there because he needed to learn the lesson that his identity was in God and that it was him and him alone that he needed to be dependent upon. Third lesson, the lesson of humility. These are all different facets of the diamond that God creates when he puts us under pressure. Who likes it when we're put under pressure? No. But God in his grace has taken Elijah on a path that will put him under pressure to learn some lessons of a lifetime. Look at the full verse, verse 9. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. A widow that will serve you. This was most humiliating. Having to depend on ravens was kind of cool. But having a widow, who in that culture was pretty low in status, if not almost at the bottom, having a widow who would probably die during the drought, the widows and the orphans would die first, having a widow to serve you, the poorest, the lowest, the one who in a time of drought would die, God is stripping Elijah of every sense of pride and self-reliance. You expect God to say to Elijah, Elijah, you go over there and take care of the widow. We'd understand that language, wouldn't we? Because we like it when we're the one serving, when we're the one meeting other people's needs, when we're the one that's got the provision, and we're helping somebody else. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We understand how that works. But when someone wants to help us, Something ugly can go on in our hearts. A pride, a self-reliance can rise. Because we much prefer to be the ones who provide. To be the ones who make others feel good. To be the one who come in and rescue. In fact, sometimes we serve so vociferously because we're looking to find our identity in our service. Does that ring any bells? If I keep doing this, then I I can think a certain way about who I am. And we easily hate it when we have to depend on others. When we have to look to others to provide for us, when we have the needs, well, sorry, when we need others to serve us, when our independence is exchanged for dependence on somebody else. When that happens in our lives, it can be a really painful moment. It's pride. And pride stops us flourishing in God's purpose for our lives. You can't serve me. I'm the one who does the serving. 
I'm the one who does the helping. I'm the one who provides for you. You need me. And so we find it hard, even impossible, to let others serve us. Some of us can't let someone else make us a cup of tea without standing up and at least getting the milk or helping in some way. Some of you, yes, have no problem with that, and we'll come to that in a minute. (laughs) It's all about me. Come on, serve me. How quickly can you make that cup of tea for me? If that doesn't fit, don't wear it. Uh, (laughs) Because we want to feel that we're needed. We don't want to feel dependent. And yet the journey of faith is utter dependence. And so God is stripping everything away for Elijah. And if you ever want to know why in chapter 18 that we'll celebrate in a couple of weeks' time, he can do the most amazing things in the power of God. It's because he's been to these deep places. And they're places that I don't really want to go, and neither do you if you're like most people. But they're the places that we learn out of the depths. Of course, there's a false humility sometimes that stops us allowing others to serve us. I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm not important enough for you to serve me. Uh, and We don't let people serve us because we, we feel bad about ourselves. Cue, back to identity. All comes from identity. All comes from who we understand God has made us and called us to be. The name Zarephath, interestingly enough, means smelting furnace or refining. My bet is that God was doing a lot of refining in the refiner's fire in these days of Elijah's preparation. We're a self-reliant people, aren't we? We can handle it. I can handle it. I can do it myself, says the proud two-year-old. And inside we keep saying it. I can do it myself. God would provide through the miraculous and God would provide through the mundane. But there was no place for pride. Elijah was being cut down to size. But whatever he might have thought about his ability, however he might have begun to boast how good he was to stand in front of Ahab, what a brave soul he'd become, God was going to put him in the place where God needed him to be, one of total and utter dependence. When you've been brought to the place where you can lean on nothing but God, he's probably brought us to the greatest place that life can afford us. Who's in control? Who has your back? Who are you truly trusting today? Let's pray.